I know that this season brings out varying degrees of, of, of feelings of hopelessness in many of us. Um, you know, I, and, and I think, you know, you come to the end of a year, and I think some people look back on the year and think, wow, that didn't go great, you know? And, uh, and, and I think sometimes it's a time of reflection on just the craziness and also, I think it's just stressful because we, we feel the, the need to put together this perfect Christmas for our children. And, uh, and you know, none of those factors are really ultimately what it's all about. And uh, I love, you know, I mentioned, uh, I've mentioned probably more than once how much I love Charlie Brown Christmas and how, you know, you come to the, to the part where Linus reads the Christmas story. I, I about get choked up every time, you know, that Linus is reading that, and I'm just like, man, this is so cool. And, uh, but isn't it true that in this world where it seems like, you know, everything is, is, is focused in other places, even around Christmas. We, 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 we know we like the season of Christmas, but we oftentimes don't really understand the beauty that is underneath it, that, you know, what, what really makes it special. You know, and I love the, the story in Charlie Brown Christmas and Lucy's, you know, like, we've got to get one of those metal Christmas trees. And, of course, you know, I wasn't around in the 60s, but, uh, but I know that was a thing. Because I've seen the movies, you know, uh, and uh, but but today it's it's no different. There there's all these temptations to focus outside on all these material things, and and then you, you just love that 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 scene where Linus reads the Christmas story, and all of a sudden the focus comes back, and we remember, oh yeah, it's about Jesus. And if it's about Jesus, then that really changes everything, doesn't it? It's not about the hustle and the bustle. It's not about putting together the perfect Christmas present. It's, it's not even about having the perfect family gathering. It's remembering that God has invaded our space. We're going to focus today on that. The message, uh, the title of today's message is The Miracle of Advent. The miracle of Advent. And I want to talk about what is the miracle of Advent. Because, uh, you know, again, I mean, it's, uh, there's something about this season. Everybody, even people who don't follow Jesus, it seems like they feel different this time of year. And uh, so before I uh, reveal the answer, what is the miracle of Advent, which you probably already know, but... Uh, but I want to ask you a question, and I'd like to have a little interaction this morning. Does that sound good? Okay, why do you think that people love the Christmas season so much? What do you all think? Renewed hope. That's a great answer. Yeah, they feel they feel good tidings. Good. Wouldn't that be great if Congress would remember that? Oh man, um, oh, how, oh I'm sorry I brought that up. Or all the politicians, honestly, uh, it'd be great if we could. We'd be great if we could practice that uh, in real, you know, just in everyday life with each other. God with us, yeah, yeah. I mean, even Walmart sells nativities, so 
You walk into places that are that that are that tend to be more secular spaces, and yet here's the, the symbol of, of Jesus. Any other ideas? Why, why do people love Christmas so much? Yeah, time to show love. Time to show love. I think we we feel that as a culture. Tradition. You know what? Nostalgia is a big one, right? Uh, I don't know about you all, but I have a lot of things that make me feel nostalgic this time of year. And it's getting more, it's getting more and more so the older my kids get, okay? And I'm a little bit of a sap as far as those things. You know, like I, I, uh, I get emotional about stuff sometimes, especially dealing with, with Jesus and my kids, okay? So um, there is a nostalgia involved. <laughs> Reuben has a BB gun. He does have one. It is a Red Ryder BB gun, by the way. So, And he hasn't shot his eye out yet, just so you know. Um, you know, I, I think that all those things, all those things kind of point us in a direction. Because if you think about it, you know, and, and, and I, I listen to Christmas music this time of year. I, I like to turn on uh, the, the radio station that's playing Christmas 24-7, you know. Uh, I might even be known to listen to Delilah every now and then around this time of year, you know. Um, she's not my normal radio show I listen to. I'm normally, pro- I'm normally a sports talk guy, but this time of year, yeah, I might listen to Delilah, you know. Um, because there's something about it. There's just something about the the, the music, and, and you hear these themes of hope and peace and love and joy, all these what all these candles represent, we're singing about them. You know, Mariah Carey's on the radio, and she's singing about love. You know, all I want for Christmas is you. Oh, man, I, I hope she found her a good man, you know. But, uh, but, but all these themes, they're there, and, and, they're, and, and they're, they're out in front for us to see. Peace on earth, can it be? Glad tidings of great joy. We hear all these things. And they're great concepts. They're great ideas, the idea of nostalgia. It's why we go back to movies like A Christmas Story, and, and, and uh, it's why we, we go back to <laughs> Christmas Vacation and, and Buddy the Elf, and we, we watch these things because there's something about them that reminds us of the season, even though some of them are very silly. But, I mean, you know, if you don't love Buddy the Elf, can, do you even have a heart? I'm just saying. Uh, but all these things are are actually, you know, what, what all these things are, the cultural elements of Christmas for us, they're, they're echoes of something that's deeply true. So there's a core truth that, that, that a lot of people are missing. And it's not because people are, are, uh, aren't smart enough to see it. It's because unless the Holy Spirit illumines our hearts to the reality of the Christ, it would be impossible to see it. Right? I mean, Paul, the apostle in Romans talks about this. He says no one does, any, no one does good. And what Paul is saying when he says that, he's not saying people don't have the ability to do any good thing. What he's saying is that our, that our hearts at the very core, even in the good things that we do, are turned away from God. And so we can't do, do, do things that are truly good, that are focused on God, because of the, the deceptive nature, the de- the de- sorry, the deceived nature of the human heart. 
So what is the miracle of Advent? Well, I'm going to give you that answer. The miracle of Advent is that God became a man so that man could become like God. The miracle of Advent isn't, okay, this is important. We need to, we need to recognize this. These, let's, let's look at these candles and remember what they represent, right? Hope, peace, joy, and love. <coughs> Hope, peace, joy, and love are not the miracle of Advent. The miracle of Advent is that Christ has come and so we can have hope, peace, joy, and love. You understand? Hope, peace, joy, and love are actually uh, are, are possible because of the reality of Christ. If we don't have Christ, we don't have hope, peace, joy, and love. And that's why a lot of celebration of Christmas, while it's beautiful and while we, we enjoy it, a lot of it at the heart is empty because it lacks the Christ. When we look into our world, we see its brokenness. We oftentimes see people being mean and selfish. We see war. We see destruction. I mean, we, we live in a world, and this, I, this is a horrible thing to have to, to say, but we live in a world where something like the Holocaust is a possibility. We live in a world today where, where, where all around the world people are being killed because their beliefs are different and it's considered an ideological crime and so they're, they're being attacked. Like We live in a world where that kind of depravity is a thing. It's real. And I realize that sometimes we Americans, we, 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 we're a little sheltered even though we, I mean, we, what we view as persecution is, is uh, you know, is nothing compared to what most of the world views as persecution. But we do live in a very broken place. And I think some people look at the state of the world and, I mean, even just in our own city, the other day there was a shooting at Penn Square Mall, right? Uh, that's right down the street from where we live. That, that, and by the way, we go to the mall, you know? Um, we, we go there. When we go to the mall, that's where we go. And so we relate to those things, you know, could we have been there? This is the world that we live in. It is a rough place. It is a broken place. And we see that. And I, and. and and there's a and basic decency is oftentimes a struggle in this world. People dehumanizing other people. And then this Christmas season comes and it's like, oh, this just feels so nice. We're singing about we love one another and 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 people do treat each other differently this time of year, don't they? It seems like they do. Uh, it seems like like your neighbors are a little nicer. You know, there's a little bit of a spring in their step. Unfortunately, January is going to get here, and they're going to remember they have to go to the gym. But, uh, but why I say all this, why I remind us of all these things, because we come to the end of Galatians where we're reminded of something again. And Michael mentioned this last week. This is sort of Paul summarizing everything that he said. But right here, and I'm going to start where, 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 uh, at the part that Michael preached last week, and I'm going to read to the end, and then I'm going to work on my part. But Paul says, and I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible today, so I'm sorry, Michael. Uh, Michael only honors the ESV, but that's okay. We, uh, that's a joke. He, he, he honors other translations too, but it's a, it's a little running joke between us. Um, <laughs> 
Look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace come to all who follow this standard. And mercy even to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. There's a couple of things going on in this chapter, and I'm not going to go all the way back to the beginning of chapter and read the whole thing, but I want to remind you at the very beginning, which we've read already, this is a few weeks ago, the very beginning of this chapter, Paul begins talking about what it looks like for us to treat one another well, right? He says, bear bear with one another. Bear one another's burdens. He, He talks about brotherly love in the church. And I really find it fascinating that this book sort of ends with this whole idea of treat yourselves well or treat each other well and live as if Christ is Lord. And those things go hand in hand. And let's also remember Jesus himself told us that the entire law can be summed up into two statements. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. There's two elements of what it means to honor God with our lives. Love God, love people. It's pretty simple. And when we come to the end of Galatians, after all this Paul's been saying the whole time, he says, hey, you're not saved by the works of the law, but by grace. So don't forget about that. And then he says, in fact, um, essentially he says, if you want to to do this, you'll not focus so much on your own personal striving to attain grace righteousness, but you'll actually rest in the Holy Spirit. You'll walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? This has been the argument. He, 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 he is encouraging us, hey, don't try to do a spiritual work by the flesh, but rather by the Spirit. In other words, everybody in the world thinks that we're going to fix ourselves by trying harder, but actually what, what the truth is is that we can be fixed by resting in Christ, by walking in the Spirit. And then he kind of explains what that looks like. And then we get to chapter 6, and he says, Now, treat each other really well. Why would, he, why would he emphasize that at the end of this book? I think Paul understood in the Spirit better than anyone that one of the ways that we actually show that our lives are being transformed by the gospel is how we treat our fellow believer, especially how we treat our fellow believer. And then, of course, how we treat everyone. But if you don't treat the flock of God well, how are you going to treat everybody else in the world well? Now, I will say that as, as a believer who's been walking with Jesus for quite some time now, uh, 21 years Right? I know some of you are like, wow, you're still a baby in Christ. You might even be a new convert. How have you, how have you even been ordained? <laughs> um, but, but only 21 years, yes, I've walked with Jesus about 21 years. 
probably more than that of my life. I just, that's when God consciously spoke to my heart and, um, and I heard his voice and, you know, my life has been different since then. But in those years, something that I've observed is it's really hard. It's really hard to treat people with the sort of love that God has for people. And I think part of the reason is it's because, it's not because God's asking me to do too much. It's because I'm self-righteous in my heart. And I start to think that I'm better than everybody else. Now, I, I wouldn't say that out loud, but this is what the Spirit's spoken to me. I'm just telling you the truth of the thing that I deal with God about or what he deals with me about. Because, because what I start to see is when I'm judging somebody else, when, I'm, when I have a bad attitude towards somebody else, when I, when I say, boy, they just really should have towed the line better. When I say those things in my heart, what I'm really saying is, I'm better than you. I've really got it together. You should get it together better. When in reality, whatever I have that's together is together because of Jesus. If I have anything in me that's good, it didn't come from me. It came from Christ. Because I know how I operate when I'm operating in my own strength, and it's not very good. And I would imagine that all of us in this room, if we're honest about it, when left to ourselves, we're not, we're not doing very well. And we've talked about this before, but God's standard has always been, you have to bat a thousand. You have to, you can never, you know, and I'm talking about baseball, so <laughs> some, some are baseball fans and some aren't, but you have to, to bat a thousand, you have to, you have to hit every ball. You can never miss. You can never get a strike. And you've got to get a base hit with every ball. How about that? So not only hit it, you've got to get to the base too. You've got to be perfect. It's never been done. Can't be done. And we can't do it either. The only one who could possibly do it is God. So no matter a person's belief or background, I think that all of us look at this season and we see the brokenness and we think, man, things should be better. People should treat each other better. All those things. But oftentimes we do it from, from a, uh, a standpoint that if we could just try harder, we would pull it together. You know? And so, so we start building these ideologies. You know? and, that's, and by the way, that's why people are so polarized in political camps today. It's not because one side is perfectly right or the other side is perfectly wrong or vice versa. I think if we look at politics with wisdom, we would see that there's brokenness in all political ideologies. There's some good as well and some bad. But there's Christ. And in Christ, there's perfection. But every man-made ideology will fail at some point to honor God. Because the heart of man-made ideologies is we could really make this place better if we could just get it together. You know, that, that's the heart of every man-made ideology. You see, liberalism is influenced by this idea that if, well, that if we could just force everybody to treat the poor better, and if we could just force everybody to, to just allow people to do whatever they want and not step on everybody's toes, and we know that ends up being a ball and chain, that, 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 that it, the moment we decide we're going to force this ideology on everyone, then we put somebody else in prison. Because essentially we're saying, my ideas are better than yours but they're not Christ's ideas. And, you know, conservatism has its own issues 
says, well, if we could just get the economy right, then we would be good. We just pull ourselves together. We would be fine. Even if we could just get morality right, we would be good. We, we just have to pull ourselves together. We got to, this is very American of us. We've got to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and we've got to make this happen. And then you have competing ideologies, and both believe it's the only way to fix the world. And so they're passionate about it, and it becomes their religion. But the only answer, the only answer is Christ. Now, how do we know that? <laughs> Paul tells us here, very simply. He tells us in verse 14, for, he says for himself, as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. Now listen again, verse 15, for both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is new creation. Now what is Paul saying in this? Paul is saying that any external attempt to make ourselves better is always going to miss the mark. It's always going to fail because it misses the heart. Okay, again, for most of the world, this is the reason why we're at odds. People struggle to get along. People struggle to make room for each other because we, es we essentially are living to get one up on our competition. You know, we're, we're always living in this competition, and this is, why, this, is why people, this is why abuse happens. It's a power play. It's power struggles. And in, in our culture, it's about power, it's about autonomy, it's about self-actualization. Anybody remember that fancy word from having to take high school psychology? This whole idea that, like, you've you, you got to find yourself, right? Got really popular in the 60s. <laughs> it's even more popular today. And I hear this all the time, well, I just got to go find myself. I'm like, man, if you could just find Jesus, you'd be fixed, <laughs> you know? Because the best version of yourself is the version God had in mind when he created you. But sin has taken you down a different path. And you're never going to, it's like Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find themselves in him. We think we have to become the strongest version of ourselves so that we can live meaningful lives before we die. And we think we have to create the best possible environment for that to happen. And then, once again, competing political ideologies, pulling people in different directions. And that guy over there, he's the bad guy because, because he disagrees with my political ideology, which is going to fix the world. And that's where, y'all, I just gave a great, uh, a great example of, of, of what America is like today. I, I feel like that really fits us today. We, it's, but, that, but, but that's not the answer. Neither of those... Way, that way of thinking of, of, well, I'm over here and you're over there. It's like a boxing match and we've got to box until somebody wins. That's not the answer. The answer is Christ. Because Jesus changes the entire script. Now hear me out on this, okay? Hear me out on this. If, if there is a God, now look, this is a totally different way of thinking. If there is a God who is all-powerful, who has intentionally given up some of his power for a time in order to draw us to him so that we could be set free from our sense of striving to make ourselves better, feeling like we have to save our own lives, if, if there is a God who's given up some of his power for a time in order to come be 
one of us, right, in order to set us free from our sense that we have to prove ourselves and make ourselves better. Everything is different. Everything is different, if that's true. We're, we're over here trying to prove that we're not as vulnerable as we actually are. But proving that we're, at, that we're not vulnerable doesn't really change things. Because here we are, a bunch of weak people trying to be powerful, trying to act like we have strength, trying to act like we can somehow change things trying to act like we can somehow navigate ourselves in a direction that will raise us up. And now listen to this. The one who is actually powerful has chosen to become weak on our behalf so that he could lift us up to the place where he is. It's a little different than the way the world thinks, isn't it? The world thinks I have to be powerful, I have to grow powerful so that I can conquer. Christ, who is actually strong, says, no, I'm going to become weak so that I can conquer and win for you so that you can be where I am. It's a completely different way of thinking. And that's why Paul says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything. Because, again, Paul understands the external attempts. They're not going to move the dial for us. What has to happen? Well, he says it right here. The only thing that matters, rather than, than some kind of external transformation, is new creation. Your heart has to be changed. You have to be made new. We talk about it in the evangelical world as being born again. Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. Nick, I love, I love the, the response from Nicodemus. He says, I don't get it, Jesus. How can a man be born when he's old? I can't go back into my mama. That's exactly what he says, by the way. Go back and read it. He says, I can't re-enter my mother and be born again, right? Jesus says, you don't get it. You don't get it. I'm talking about spiritual rebirth. You need to become new. Born both water, born of both water and spirit. We were born by water originally. I won't describe that. You know, you, you, y'all, y'all know if you've had children or watched Coneheads, you know. Okay, born of water and spirit. Okay, spirit means that we need to be baptized with fire as Christ came to do. We need to be born again. We need to receive spiritual baptism, which is to say that Christ has covered us with his blood. And renewed us in his power. We need to be made new. Paul is showing us how silly the external attempts to create meaning actually are in comparison to what God has done. It's kind of the theme of this whole book. He's like, look, if if God has come to you, and if he set you free from sin by the work that Christ has done on the cross... Why in the world are you going to go back to trying to save yourself again? It just doesn't make sense. That's why Paul says in Galatians 3, Oh, you foolish Galatians, you who begun by the Spirit, are you not going to finish by the flesh? The, the whole idea is silly. If you've, been, if you've received renewal in the Spirit, 
because of the work of Jesus Christ, you have more than you could have ever imagined that you could possibly have, whether you realize it or not. So new creation is a different kind of thing. The old way is exercising control over our bodies, trying to, trying to force ourselves into, into being better. Through it could be all kinds of things, you know. Maybe it's diet and exercise. I'm not saying those are bad things, you know. But but uh, but but sometimes we find our sense of meaning in trying to make ourselves healthy. It could be it could even be religious activity. I'm going to be a very spiritual person this year. I'm going to really try to be spiritual. But anytime, anytime we move from grace into the field of earning. We're missing it in the kingdom of God. Now, we've got to remember the gospel's not against hard work. The gospel's not against hard work. It's not against working to grow in Christ. It's not against those things. But the gospel is against earning. Because we can't earn our way to God. We can't earn our way to, you know, into being better people. We... we we can only be graced into those things. It has to be the work of Christ to renew us and bring us in. And Paul is reminding us of that. Again, new creation is a different kind of thing because we can't do anything to get it. It comes as a gift from God. Jesus laid down his power. Jesus submitted to God and he showed us that true value comes not through exerting power, but by trusting in the one who has declared us valuable, by trusting in God. Our worth is in the Father. That's why we talk about being in Christ. You have to be in Christ. You've got to be in the family. Because when you're in the family, the Father declares you a dearly loved child. In the Garden of Eden, God told Adam and Eve, you are good, didn't he? When he created everything, well, actually, it's better than that. He created everything. He said, it's good. Then when he created Adam and Eve, then all of a sudden creation was very good. He said, it is very good. So you're telling me that this whole beautiful planet was only good, but then after people, it was very good? Exactly what God says. Now, what got Adam and Eve into trouble in the first place is because the serpent came along and he said to them, listen, you still need some stuff to be very good. The serpent said to them, you're all right. You know, you're okay. But to, to really be good, you know, in order to be like God, you've you got to you go eat some, some fruit from that tree over there. And instead of believing the voice of God who said you were very good, they believed the voice of the serpent who said you're not enough. And that... And then we became not enough because of sin. Sin put us into a place where on our own we're not enough. But Christ came in order to raise us back up to the place that God created us to have in heaven. And Paul says in verse 16 here, he says, And, and as for all who walk by this rule, Peace and mercy be upon them. Peace on earth. Mercy. God and sinners reconciled. 
these themes that we sing about at Christmas. Now, how do we come to a place where we have true peace and mercy? Well, here the Apostle Paul is telling us, you live by the rule that you're saved by grace and that your life is in Jesus Christ and that it's not by external striving outside of grace, but it's by living by the Spirit and within the realm of, of those who have trusted Christ in their Lord and, as their Lord and Savior. You live by that rule, and you will find the peace and the mercy that you seek. Peace and mercy are in direct correlation to our relationship with God and have nothing to do with manipulation of our environment. And yet so oftentimes we are living like if we just can manipulate everything and put it all in alignment that we'll be good. But that is not the case. We, that is, in fact, that's a lie. It's the original lie. It's the first lie when the devil came saying, you got to add something to yourself in order to be really good. And today that lie says to us you have to add something to Christ in order to be truly saved. But Jesus plus something will always equal nothing. It's Christ alone. Advent teaches us that true peace is about a right relationship with our creator. If the world wasn't fund fundamentally broken, Christ wouldn't have had any need to come. We know this place is busted up. We know we're busted up. We've got to have restoration, and it, only, it can only possibly come through faith in Jesus, by trusting in Christ, and by walking in him with the Spirit's help. Jesus came to us as a baby because he had to become one of us if he was going to reconcile us back to God. Listen, it could only have been an inside job. It had to be an inside job. But the problem is that only God could possibly do it. And so if he had to come inside. So what did he do? He joined the team. He infiltrated the organization. And from within he was able to tackle the underlying problem that we had because of sin. And so the problem, the ultimate problem that we face is that our relationship with God is broken, and so we are out of sync with ultimate reality. There can be no peace for anyone living that way because we have essentially declared war against God through sin. Sin is rebellion against God, and, and thus we're actually in rebellion against everything that is good. So it's no wonder that oftentimes it seems like the universe is against us. It's no wonder that it seems like things just can't be right, because they can't. I mean, in fact, a lot of things won't be right because this world is in rebellion against God. But a lot can be right with us if we trust in Jesus. But you may think that all this is very limiting. And I've got to read a quote to you from Tim Keller. This is from a book, The Reason for God. It's one of my favorite books. And, uh, and he wrote, In many areas of life, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones the liberating restrictions. If we only grow intellectually, vocationally, and physically through judicious constraints, why would it not also be true for spiritual and moral growth? Instead of insisting on freedom to create spiritual reality, shouldn't we be seeking to discover, discover it and disciplining ourselves to live according to it? The popular concept 
that we should each determine our own morality is based on the belief that the spiritual realm is nothing like the rest of the world. Does anyone really believe that? Let's think about it for a minute. If we say that we can only be saved and we can only grow through Jesus, it's a pretty restricting statement. But Keller makes a great point. If you want to get in shape, you've got to commit to go to the gym. That's restricting. If you want to have love, you have to commit to only one lover. If you want to have anything of value in this world, chances are you're going to have to accept some restriction, but they're good restrictions. And if you want to be free, if you want to, to live the kind of life that God has called you to live, you have to accept the restriction that it can only come through Jesus but what you'll find on the other side of that is ultimate freedom. Because in Christ, we begin to become the people that we were always created to be. You want to talk about finding yourself? You'll find yourself when you find yourself in Jesus. Because you start to discover that you were made for something so much more. You were made to be something so much more. And that in fact, the person that you were made to be is the sort of person that God would declare very good over. But because we've trusted in ourselves and sin and, and rebellion against God rather than trusting in the words of God, now we find ourselves in a place where we're always having to strive to be better. But if we would just learn to rest in Christ, we would, we would come to understand that the Father has granted to us the righteousness of His precious Son, Jesus. And that is what this season is about. God infiltrating our space, God coming to us and fighting the battle for us to destroy the brokenness of sin so that we could be raised up to his place. He's trying to make it. He's not trying. He's actually doing it. He is setting this world back to the pre-rebellion state in many ways. Jesus says, I come to make all things new. He's restoring everything. So, we want to remember that the miracle of Advent is that God became a man so that man could become like God. We were created to be like God. Remember? God created them in his own image. That's, that's God's design, to be like him. To be like Christ is God's design. The fact that we are becoming like Christ now is the miracle of Advent. We are able to go back to the design that God created for us and be fulfilled finally in him. It's, it's, it's why the song says that strivings can cease. Where fears are stilled and strivings cease. Guys, the Christmas songs are good, okay? If we're not listening to the Christmas songs and celebrating Christ, they are good. Why can striving cease? Strivings can cease because the grace of God has brought to us new creation. You don't have to strive to be the new creation. You are the new creation in Christ, and now you can work as new creation to become the people God created you to be. We don't have to earn our place with the Father. We receive it in Christ. Church, is that good news? Is that good news today? Is that, like, is that something worth 
sharing in the world. How God has created you new. Can we look at the Christmas season and understand that even the echoes and rumblings of the desires of the world are met in Christ and, and oftentimes they are not able to see it because the Spirit has not revealed it to them. But can I tell you that He has called us to be the ones who speak that reality into the world and show them that it's true with our lives. I love this time of the year. <laughs> I love the gospel. I love the scriptures. I love that we are able to speak this word. I want to read one more quote from Tim Keller. We're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning. We're going to take communion. And it's a great response to the gospel this morning. Because it's in this place here. It's in this place where we, where we see the body of Christ broken. And, and, and we see the blood of Christ spilled that we know that their strivings can cease because there we've received grace and we partake and we remember. So this is going to be an opportunity for us to repent because I have a feeling that there are some of us in this room who came into this place absolutely jumbled right now. You're just, you're a whirlwind. You don't know what to do with yourself because this season's been stressful and you've been busy at work and, and, and you and things just are a mess. And Jesus is calling you and he's saying, look over here. Look back over here. Okay, listen, listen to Linus. Okay, let me tell you what Christmas is all about. Let me tell you what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Okay, but, but some of us are Charlie Brown and we need to hear what Christmas is all about again. We need to come to this table and we need to remember that Christ was broken so that we could be renewed. Christ was, his blood was spilled so that we could be renewed. And church, I don't want us to forget also that it's not just about saving our souls, it's about the restoration of all things. Here's my other quote, because it's just too good. I went looking for this one in the book, by the way, because I remembered it. On the cross, he submitted to our condition as sinners. Think about that for a minute. On the cross, he, Jesus, submitted to our condition as sinners and died in our place to forgive us. In the most profound way, God has said to us in Christ, I will adjust to you. I will change for you. I'll serve you, though it means a sacrifice for me. If he has done this for us, we can and should say the same to God and others. That's why this season is the season that it is. The goodwill comes from the Lord. The glad tidings come from the Lord who took the lowly position so that we could be raised up. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The apostle writes in 2 Corinthians 5. Every, I have to say this, every dream our culture has about Christmas could be true. And it actually is true in Christ. When we don't have the reality of them, it's because we're not walking in Christ. But they are available to everyone if we would turn away from our sinfully 
rebellious, self-righteous ways and believe on the gospel about Jesus, we could be free. We could have life. This culture could be free. This culture could have life. He came near so that this can happen for you. So the question we want to ask is, how is God calling us to draw near to him today? You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. We can't wait to hear from you.